Welcome to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. If you're an entrepreneur and you're driven by your faith or want to be driven by your faith, then you're in the right place. This is a podcast brought to you by Faith Driven Entrepreneur. You can check us out at faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. This podcast doesn't exist without you, our community. Please send us any questions, any thoughts you have about how this podcast might better serve you, and any thoughts about or questions on being a faith-driven entrepreneur. Welcome back to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur. We are so excited today. We have a guest from a part of the country that is near and dear to my heart as a local Alabama man myself. We have a guest from Nashville. Uh, Missy Wallace is here, who is the executive director of the Nashville Institute of Faith and Work. Uh, So we are just really excited to have you here today, Missy. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm looking forward to learning from you both. Well, we'll see how that works out, but we're looking forward for our listeners to learn more from you, but we'll see how that happens. The National Institute of Faith and Work, I would love to get an overview of what that is, how it came to be, and what was your passion behind wanting to run it? Mm-hmm. Sure. So the Nashville Institute for Faith and Work launched about three years ago in 2015, and it really launched out of a very circuitous story that only God could write. I spent 10 years in the for-profit world in banking and consulting and strategic planning, and then another 10 or 12 years in the nonprofit world and had really bad faith work theology, Mm. didn't even know it. And it was a journey with an incredibly ill child over five years who was diagnosed terminal, but actually lived and is thriving, that put me on a faith journey that landed me in divinity school, which I did not finish. Um, And in divinity school, I realized that there was an entire body of faith and work theology that I had never understood, never been exposed to. And I had a very powerful moment where I felt that God was leading me to get this message out in Nashville and wrote a plan to launch the Nashville Institute for Faith and Work. Ended up getting to go study with the Center for Faith and Work in New York City that was launched by Tim Keller and Catherine Alsdorf. If you've ever read the book, Every Good Endeavor, um, it explains the and um, was nurtured by them and their team with David Kim and Amy Lee Watkins. And the Nashville Institute for Faith and Work was born. It was launched out of Christ Presbyterian Church, but launched as a gift to the city. We're intentionally Christian, ecumenically sensitive, and we're really trying to help individuals and groups figure out what their faith means in the context of their day-to-day work. When you say that you were in corporate America and you had a bad workplace theology, what did that mean for you? That is a great question, and it's hard to even articulate. But the way it played out for me was I was um, more about achievement and accolades than I was about the actual work I was doing. And so when I realized that, then I had a hard time understanding what is making 25 more cents for another company have to do with improving the world. And what I couldn't put together was how profitability and faith could go together. And instead of trying to work through it, I just abandoned the pursuit. I was just like, well, this is easy. I'll just go work for a nonprofit. Then I solved my problem. But that didn't really solve it either, I learned. So how'd you get to a place? So 
fast forward a little bit to the end, and then we want to work our way back and find out some more of the activities and some of the, the different things and some of the stories of the entrepreneurs that you've worked with. But where have you gotten to a place now where you feel that making an extra 25 cents or being able to bring in profits, how are you able to get a sense of purpose from that that mm-hmm. fulfills you, where you get a sense it all kind of comes together? Mm-hmm. So when I was in my short stint of not graduating from divinity school, I um, was exposed to all this literature that really helped me understand the Genesis account of creation better and that we were all called to work. And I learned that the original language of go out and be fruitful and multiply didn't just mean go have children, that it actually meant something with a bit more texture to it, that it really could be translated more clearly to go out and create flourishing. And then when I looked at the Genesis account of the creation and saw that days in a row, God took chaos and brought structure and then called it good, did it over and over and then said, hey, people, you all go out and do that. And so it gave me clarity that literally any kind of work that is either creating or redeeming is taking chaos, trying to being structure and calling it good, trying to call it good. And so whether it is spreadsheets at a bank, whether it is um, unloading a dishwasher, I mean, that's a type of work. I hate unloading the dishwasher, um, whether it is trying to create a healthcare company, trying to create a new rideshare company. It's all taking chaos, trying to bring a type of structure and trying to call it good. And so suddenly to be able to see all work out of that framework and then to understand that a profitable company is a way, Jeff Van Duzer's work really helped me understand this, um, that a profitable company is really just a deployment of resources differently than a nonprofit and that to enable to employ capital in that way and to allow so many other people to work and try to bring structure out of chaos and call it good is actually a very good thing. I like that a lot. You know, and I'm embarrassed to say we've got a podcast that talks about things like this to have not thought about it exactly like that. We talk about working to bring God glory and loving their, our neighbor and doing excellent work so we have an opportunity to witness and be heard and things like that. But um, that's a great context, of course, out of the creation mandate. And uh, it helps uh, bring a different perspective on some of those things like you've got all these different you know, I'm an investor, so I've got all these income statements on my desk and balance sheets and all that kind of stuff. And how do you bring it all together in a cohesive way that makes sense? Order out of chaos. I like that a lot. Well, it really helped me. I mean, part of my career was in banking, and we all know that banking is very important, but we all know it has some areas of brokenness in it and some areas of greed. And it really helped me understand. Um, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm stating the obvious, but imagine if there were no banks. Imagine if you were trying to buy and sell companies by exchanging ride shares with goats. I mean, that just, it doesn't work, right? So you have to have this, so the order that a bank or that a um, financing institution or a private equity group can bring, that's an order that can be thought of as as biblical. Of course, we have the whole fall, and that messes everything up. And so we have systemic and personal brokenness in all our work, too. But I really have found very few industries that don't pattern after this bringing structure out of chaos and trying to call it good. Well, here in Silicon Valley, we know a good idea when we hear one. So exchanging rideshare for goats, I'm not saying that's dead. Yeah. There's entrepreneurs listening to this podcast, so anyone, feel free to contact Missy. This might be William's last podcast, not because we're kicking him off because of that, because he might be going off to run his new 
his new gig. Hey, I, I get excited when I hear good ideas. That's why I love it. And, and Missy, speaking of that, I, I know the Nashville Institute of Faith and Work works with people across all different types of industries and all different types of roles. But we've had a chance to catch it before. And I know you you did find that entrepreneurs needed something maybe a little different than some of the other industries. I'd love for you to talk about that a little bit and maybe how you have decided to come around them uh, in a new way. Sure. So we've been thinking about how to serve entrepreneurs for a few reasons. Um, One, because entrepreneurism is such a significant part of the Nashville economy. If some of your listeners don't know much about Nashville, one thing that's interesting in Nashville is the family tree of healthcare companies that has grown out of the HCA world and um, Hospital Corporation of America world. And Nashville has become nicknamed the Silicon Valley of healthcare, particularly healthcare technology and healthcare services. And so knowing that we had this strong startup culture in Nashville, as well as the fact that I actually am married to somebody in the private equity world um, and have been hearing about startups uh, my whole adult life, those two things just made me personally and professionally interested in entrepreneurs. And in the same week, two different entrepreneurs came to me um, with the same problem, but from a different vantage point. Mm. One of them um, was and still is crushing it, killing it, whatever the latest vocab is for doing very well, going to make a gazillion dollars. He came to me and said, Missy, I'm really struggling with how to keep my grounding. I'm doing so well. He said, I'm a believer, but I'm doing so well that it's hard for me to not believe that it's all about me. Mm. And I just want to thump my chest and keep doing it. And I'm going to have significant financial gains, and I'm having a hard time staying grounded. Same week, another guy came to me. He was unraveling out of bankruptcy, lawsuits going on, and said, I lost my sense of grounding in the process. And an entrepreneur has to be so optimistic. I mean, that's, that's the quality that allows you to take this kind of risk. But where does optimism and aspiration become spin? And he said, Mm. I lost that. And when aspiration became spin and I could no longer differentiate, the thing unraveled. It was an ugly bankruptcy. Mm. And it happened partially because I lost my grounding. And so I had someone wildly successful at that point and at this point, and someone who in worldly terms was wildly unsuccessful, both saying, I'm losing my grounding in this thing. I cannot separate reality from spin and I cannot separate dependence from bootstrapping it's all on me and I need help and I was like we're going to come up with a solution for that Um, and so that was I guess the need which is this um, pendulum swinging there's an article it's either in Forbes or Inc called the psychological price of entrepreneurship if you're listening google it it's an awesome article and the article shows um just the incredible rates of depression and anxiety in entrepreneurs. And there's a really funny quote. It's got a picture of a guy riding a lion. It says, everyone's looking at me on this lion saying, oh my gosh, I want to be on that lion. He's amazing. But really, I'm thinking, how the heck did I get on this lion? How do I get off without getting eaten? And so this this complete and total push point of you're being pushed at the edge of your capabilities in every way, shape or form. You are completely alone. You feel like it is on you. 
but you want to be dependent on God. And you cannot navigate between running this by squeezing really tight versus running it with your hands wide open. Um, so that's the need that we saw. Um, and what we've developed is um, has a terrible name. Maybe you all can help me with the name. If there's <laughs> someone on your podcast that could give me a more creative name, I'd be very grateful. We call it the Entrepreneur Support Group. And it provides support to entrepreneurs. Um, and what it is, it's a it's a 12-week closed group. By closed, we mean um, you apply into it. We make sure there's no competitors sitting or, or no conflicts of interest around the table. Mm-hmm. Um, we start together. We finish together. We agree to 90% full attendance rates. And we really journey together for 12 weeks. Um, I have a pastor and counselor that facilitates this with me. And there's a video curriculum homework that sets the stage to get everybody on the same place with faith and work theology. But really what we do every week is just process the junk that comes through the stress of running a company and bring a new theological lens to it. And so someone might enter with a problem of, I've got an investor that's about to pull out, or I might not make payroll next week. Or I need to fire my chief marketing officer, and I don't know if I can limp along without her. So should I just limp along, or should I fire her? And is firing redemptive? Like, is that good or bad? Am I a good person or a bad person if I fire? So no matter what the problem is, the problem is the tip of the iceberg. It always leads down to a heart issue. And so as a group, we work together to really try to take the problem of the day the theological construct that was the homework and try to give a theological lens to think through each other's problems. And somebody might enter with a particular problem about their marketing plan. We agree we aren't solving the marketing plan, but nearly always the problem under the problem, everyone has experienced in some way. So how do you come up with the answers when you talked about the the examples at the beginning with the guys that have lost their grounding? How do you help them process that? What do you what do you point them to so that they can actually get closer to being grounded? I presume that some amount of that comes from being in a group together and processing. But what are some practical ways if somebody's listening to this right now is they're in Billings, Montana and they're like, That's me. I've lost my grounding. I've lost my way and it's resulting in, you know, it's all about me, as you said. It could be an upside or it could be the downside. What what do you point them to? We really try to encourage spiritual discipline, and by spiritual discipline, um, we try to encourage everyone in the group to be spending time with God daily. We are having them pray for each other regularly and keeping track of those prayers, and we are giving them resources and experiences with different types of spiritual disciplines, from Lectio Divina to a day of silence that we take together and process together. So spiritual discipline is one way. And then the second way, I think, is community. And so just putting a group of entrepreneurs in community together, all wanting to look at life through the lens of Christ, whether than through the winner's script, are you killing it or not? And so what we are trying to take down for them is the incessant need to posture, because I think entrepreneurs, part of the job requirement requires posturing, um, posturing for your investors, posturing for your lead sales guy, posturing 
at home because you just bet the farm on the whole thing. And good gosh, what happens at home if it goes under? And so this need to posture that it's going to work out, it's going to work out, it's going to work out. We want to give them a place to come in and say with 10 other people, it might not work out and I'm scared to death. And so that's yeah. community spiritual discipline. Is there a playbook that you go by? So back to the guy from Billings, Montana. So he's listening to this and he's saying, okay, I resonate with some of that. I know that I've let some of my Bible reading slip and I know that I haven't been as intentional about even fasting or I love the Lectio Divina, by the way. Lectio Divina is an intentional, that's another thing to Google, an intentional reading of scripture and community and pace and just really absorbing it. It's an awesome one. Um, But how would you... Knowing that so much of this happens in community, how would this guy in Billings, Montana, just say, I'm going to get some other people together? Any practical thoughts on what they might do? Presuming that there's not an institute of faith and work in Billings, we may get a call from folks from Billings and say, actually, we got it all figured out. And and here's a a, a thing or two we can teach you guys. And I, I hope that's the case. But what would you say? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. I I feel like entrepreneurs find each other. It's just a matter, and so I bet anyone in almost any town knows of another entrepreneur. It's, I think the key is coming together and promising each other confidentiality and saying, let's take the masks off. Let's stop posturing, and let's be really honest with each other and walk together. And let's call each other to realizing um, that our company may be wildly successful, but if our company's not wildly successful, God's in that too. Yeah. Um, also, you know, as a resource, there's an organization that I know you all know, Praxis. And Praxis, P-R-A-X-I-S, Praxis Labs has a phenomenal and free video curriculum that has the basics of faith and work theology for entrepreneurs. So that would just be a fantastic thing for a group of entrepreneurs in Billings, Montana, to go through on their own. Yeah, it's an incredible course. We can endorse that, and uh, we are we're our friends of them. And you know, on the discipline side as well, they have a, they have a great resource. If you Google "Rule of Life Praxis" P R A X I S, a great ten minute read on once again a potential way to think about. You know how you use your time, your money, your power, your community, and, and all of those things. I think it's a great read for anyone as well. We also try to help people think about success differently. And this may not be something that you know you want to put in the venture capital plan, but we try to help people hold success um, a little bit loosely defined. Yes, you have to absolutely make your numbers to hit your funding and all your goals, etc. But we try to help people understand that God's plan for them may include the company thriving and it may not. And that either way, it is still God's plan for them. And I think one of the most powerful days of the year last year in the group is when one entrepreneur came in and said, I'm going to have my first seven figure liquidity event next year, next week. I'm going to have my first seven-figure liquidity event next week. He's in his early 30s. And he was like, I, I'm really scared because I just want to thump my chest and do it again and again. And at the same time, somebody else didn't think they were going to make payroll the next week. And he was very teary. I'm talking get the Kleenex box kind of teary. Um, thought that this was it, that the company was going to shut down. And the guy that was having his liquidity event leaned over to the guy that was very teary 
and said, I know this feels very weird to you, but I'm actually jealous right now. And almost bankrupt, said to new millionaire, almost jealous. And he said, you're experiencing dependency right now in a way that I can't access. I feel like it's on me. And that was powerful. Wow, that is powerful. Mm. Missy, you're very good at telling stories. Tell us some more stories about some of the entrepreneurs that you've worked with. So, I, you know, walking with this particular entrepreneur whose company did go bankrupt and did end up in some legal mess and was just a very painful unraveling for this entrepreneur. What has been so beautiful to watch is how God has showed up in what to him felt like unimaginable pain. And his career has been just pulled out of the ashes in just a most life-giving and beautiful way. So that, that's been really neat. Um, I've also seen a woman um, who runs a healthcare company. This is very interesting. She knew she was called to work with the elderly when she was 16 years old, and she went to a nursing home and painted an older lady's nails and just felt a call to work with old people. And she runs a healthcare services firm that works with the elderly population. And she had been very frustrated uh, for a couple of years. She was having a hard time getting funding to take her company to the next level. She was trying to do a roll-up in an industry that was pretty fragmented, was getting rather frustrated. And after spending a year in the group, she had a new realization that her company was on loan to her from God to really take care of their clients and their employees, and that that had nothing to do with whether she got the venture funding to do the roll-up. Whether she stayed in two cities or 200 cities was her agenda and her measurement of success. And when she was able to let go of that a little bit, she has just been so much happier as a worker. And her employee feedback has been that um, they feel that there's more life in the company. And so somehow by releasing the result of if I don't get to X, therefore it's not as successful as it would have been. And rather thinking of it as this is on loan for me to steward has been a really freeing opportunity for her. So I love this concept that you're riffing on now about redefining what success looks like. And I just can't get over this story about the guy that, that leaned over to the person, the successful entrepreneur in terms of how the world will look at things, leaned over to the other one and saying, you know, I have an envy of your dependency on God. And I get a sense from talking to you that you're finding through working with these entrepreneurs that the ones that are really successful are the ones that are coming and, and encountering God in the workplace and viewing their business and their career as being a mechanism, a channel to just knowing and understanding and worshiping and loving God more. And when they get that, then they're free. And in my experience, when you can get to that spot, then lots of times they'll end up having this great success in terms of the way the world will look at it too. But if you aim towards that, Mm-hmm. then you never find it all goes poof. Yeah. But if you look towards God and try to enjoy him and what his pacing is and what his plans are, then whether you have a success or a failure, you have success. Right. It's measuring success in terms of are you walking with God and doing what he needs you to do? And, and that very well 
may include a company with a 10-figure liquidity day. That It's not to preclude that, but it may include some failure too. But I feel like the entrepreneurs that feel the most free to me are one of my entrepreneurs named John calls God his, well, let's see what God the CEO says about that. And so he literally sees God as the CEO of his company. Let's see what the CEO thinks about that timing. Mm-hmm. And so he's, it's really fun to watch him. And, you know, that's not to say that when something goes wrong, they're not mired in the frustration, et cetera, et cetera. We're, we're all human and they're very competent people trying to run amazing organizations. I think entrepreneurs that flourish really well are also ones who see the team of people they are working with as a team they've been given to steward and help flourish rather than transactions to getting their goals accomplished. So people who see their workers as transactional for an end don't seem to be operating as freely as people who see their role as a CEO of an entrepreneurial enterprise as part of their calling is to create a flourishing work environment. You know, that's also another great distinction. And it's as a parent, it's hard to find contentment as a parent if you're focused on a balance sheet or a scorecard at the end of every day. If you can't enjoy just the process of kids flourishing and growing, then it's hard to ever really enjoy being a parent because things are so nonlinear. And you're going to drive yourself crazy if it's all about, you know, we are singularly focused on getting a kid into Harvard or Yale or your Nashville, say, Vanderbilt. If that's what it is, you're never going to enjoy success as a parent. You have to enjoy the process and take a joy in just seeing your kids flourish. And I think that that translates to the work environment, too. And I think that that's Uh really important. And I think that that's one of the other techniques that can get us away from just thinking about ourselves and our success is just looking at success through the lens of, are the people that I've been entrusted with, are they flourishing or not? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's, that's tough for me because I have an eight-week-old, and we just went to our <laughs> appointment. So I've got most of this figured out. But it's pretty amazing. His head circumference was in the 97th percentile. So I'm totally sure that he's winning. So <laughs> yeah. I have a definitive scorecard that Liam is winning the race right now because that's a big uh-huh. head. So you know, it's tough for me to really empathize right now, maybe in a few years. Yes, that's right. Um, Missy, I want to mention one thing while we're here. One of the biggest things I keep hearing over and over is just in every one of those stories, there's other people involved in the story. You didn't tell one story of someone who sat down every morning by themselves and figured it all out. And I just think about the power of community and especially on a journey like entrepreneurship, where you do have to be alone so often. You are the one who has to make the big decisions, who has to be there. And I guess I just want to emphasize that. And to our listeners, just remind people that community is so important and that you have to find people to walk this journey with. And that's the biggest reason why we started Faith Driven Entrepreneur. I mean, it really is. And, And so if we can be helpful in any way on that, that is what our heart behind the mission for Faith Driven Entrepreneur is, is that There's so many people out there, and we just want to be a small help to being helpful Uh on the journey uh, that is entrepreneurship, that is all of these things we've been talking about for so long. I think the calling of entrepreneur more than any other calling may be only equaled by professional performing artist. But this calling, I think, is one of the most isolating and potentially lonely callings there is. 
because if you think about all the people around you that you've got to keep seeing, you know, you probably have an aspiration that you see that other people can't see. So you're, you're pointing to it. It's going to work. It's going to work. It's going to work. And the minute you let your guard down and say, I'm worried it's not going to work, you're worried that the whole house of cards might fall. And so if you tell your investor you're worried it's not going to work, they might pull out. If you tell your head sales guy, I'm worried it might not work, he might run to your competitor. If you tell your spouse at home, I'm worried it's not going to work, what? We bet the whole farm on this, our children's education. They're going to freak out. And so I feel that it is just so easy to isolate and carry all that alone. And I think that the best thing Entrepreneur Support Group has done is allow this group of entrepreneurs to carry it together and realize that someone across the table can say me too. And I mean the old way of me too, not the new way that me too has been branded. But I understand. I feel your pain. I'm walking with you. Well, Missy, thank you very much for your passion and for your service and for your leadership in Nashville. And then on more on the national stage, too. I think that uh, in this episode, we've been able to unpack together some of the deeper identity issues that an entrepreneur has. And what does it look like to unpack those things in community? And uh, please tell everybody what your website is so that people can check you out. Sure. Thank you. Our website is nifw.org, which stands for Nashville Institute Faithwork.org. If you're through town, we'd love to meet you. Well, thank you. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, it's been a great blessing to have you with us. Great to talk to you all. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much for joining us on the Faith Driven Entrepreneur podcast. Please go to faithdrivenentrepreneur.org and let us know if you have any questions, any of those tough ones that you'd like us to tackle. If you have any videos, articles, sermons, or podcasts that have been helpful to you on your journey, we'd love to see them too. Just send them our way. Lastly, if this podcast has been an encouragement to you in any way, we'd appreciate you commenting, sharing it with others, and subscribing. This podcast would not be possible without help from many of our friends. Music by Carl Cadwell. You can see more of his work at summerdregs.com. Audio by Richard Barley of Cornerstone Church in San Francisco. And editing by Johnny Shue. Thank you.